following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. I am excited this morning to be kind of wrapping up our series on um, life after resurrection. And this has been my, my visual aid for uh, the times that I have talked about that. Um, we've been looking at the concept of, as we've looked at life after resurrection, we've been looking at the concept of walking worthy of the calling. We've been using the book of Ephesians um, to just kind of look at what does it look like to walk in the resurrection, in the power of what Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection, how does it change how we operate and how we walk? And so um, the scale is here because the language used when it talks about here's all the things that were accomplished at the cross, what Jesus did, it brought those of us who were afar, it brought us near. Those of us who were orphaned, we now are children of God. Now we have an inheritance in, in the Lord and all of these things. And so in chapters 1 through 3, it's talking about all that was accomplished. And then there's this shift as we come into chapters 4 through 6, where it says, therefore, walk worthy of the calling in Christ Jesus. And it has this meaning of let the weight of your living be equal to the weight of the calling. It, it's, it actually is referring to a scale, like in the marketplace, that, that what you're receiving would be equal to the weight of what you're paying, basically. And so that's kind of the picture that we've used, and we've discovered that there's really no end to the weight of walking in the calling of Christ Jesus, because it pleased God that in him all fullness should dwell. And so even as we kind of note these specific things, um, that we see in Ephesians, we know that all of the kingdom is available to us because of what Jesus did. These are just some of the aspects of what it looks like to walk that out. So <clears throat> what we've talked about so far in Ephesians uh, 4 through 6 is how we live in light of that. We talked about the first thing that Paul talks about, because of all this, now walk in unity. And we talked about the fact that we don't have to create the unity. The unity has already been created through what Jesus did. And we get to just step into it. It says, be diligent to preserve it. It means we already have it. It's already there. So we're diligent to preserve that unity. The, the next piece, as it goes on, it talks about walking as a new creation, Walk, walking as a new man, that we get to step into the newness of life because of what Jesus did. And so basically he's saying to these Ephesians who were Gentiles, he's saying, Gentiles, don't live like Gentiles anymore. Now you are in this kingdom, you're a new creation, and so now you walk this way. And it's not so much um, a, a uh, assembly plan of now you need to do all these things. He's basically saying, this is the new way that you can operate now. It's the operating manual. You're, you are a brand new appliance. I, I don't know. I don't know if that flies. And so now this is the way that you can operate. He's not saying, now you've got to put yourself together in this way. He's saying, you've been made new 
walk this way. This is how, how things work. So we, walk, we can walk in unity. We can walk as new creation. The next piece that we looked at um, after, after that was walking in love and walking in light. And we discovered that the key to walking in love was knowing that we were dearly loved children. And he's still talking to us about that today, isn't he? He's still making that real from the inside out. We can walk in love and exhibit love only to the degree that we can have the confidence that we are dearly loved children. He says, imitate your father as dearly loved children. And so what does that look like? What does it look like to love others? Well, look at how he loved you. And then he starts talking about how Jesus gave himself and the sacrificial, it's not a self-serving love, it's a giving kind of love that comes from a, a place of, I just, I just want to love you, I want to bless you. And so we get to walk in that. Walk in as light, not even walk in the light. Paul says, walk as light. You were darkness, now you're light. And we talked about that, the reality of us actually being light. And not that we get to like traffic in darkness, traffic in light. No, now you're light. You just are. And you're just on all the time. And so we get to walk in that way. Today, uh, well, I'm sorry, and a piece of that then we also talked about was the wisdom of God. That one of the ways that we walk as light on the earth is we carry the wisdom of God that often flies in the face of the wisdom of man. That it is contrary to the wisdom of man. But when we walk in light, we bring the wisdom of God, his way of doing things, his order that he wants to bring on the earth comes from us walking as light. So now today what we want to talk about is what it looks like to walk in reordered relationships, that the resurrection power actually meant something for how we relate to one another, that that is a place where we can see our, uh, the weight of our living equal the weight of the calling is in our relationships with one another, in restored relationships that look the way that God intended for relationships to look. So, you know, we can... We know, and all you have to do is look at the news to know, that human relationships can actually be a great source of pain, right? Like, like how many times do we say, you know, church would be great except for all the people? <laughs> or, you know, I love my job except for the people I work with, or, you know, whatever. Of course, we never, like, we're never the object of that comment. It's always the other people. But, but there's, there's a reality that, that human relationships can be a deep source of pain. And yet, what Paul is saying here is this is one of the places that you can stop living like a Gentile and start living kingdom life, is relationships. In fact, I see many places throughout the word where one of the primary differences, one of the proofs of the power of God, primary proofs, of the power of God, because we see it over and over and over again, is how we function in relationships. That it is meant to be a witness to the world that Jesus is actually who he said he was. Because it's impossible for somebody to operate in that healthy, reordered way of relating to one another apart from the restoration and transformation 
of salvation in our lives. It's just, it's the truth. So we, we see that this is a way where Paul is saying, because in all of these places, he's saying, this is how I'm reordering things in the world. So s- stop living like this and start living like this. And this is what he's talking about here when he talks about reordered relationship. What's interesting is that human relationships are all actually meant to be like one of the greatest sources of joy on the earth. That God established human relationships to be an incredible source of joy. He said it's not good for humankind, for man, to be alone. Some of us, on some days, go, no, actually, I think that sounds pretty great. I think that would be awesome. How many of you have gone, I just really need a moment alone? <laughs> yes, exactly. What are you Mostly the parents. No. <laughs> not, not alone from you. Yeah, yes. But, but God meant for those relationships. He said it's not good. He meant for relationships to be very fulfilling and to, to be an opportunity for us to walk out um, what he looks like and what his character is. It was, it was the, the sin, the effective sin that brought disorder into relationships. It was the effective sin that made relationships not as life-giving and sometimes actually hurtful and harmful. But we don't live under that. We live in this new, reordered way of walking. And this is what he's speaking to when we come into chapter 5, the middle of chapter 5. He's encouraging us how we can reorder our relationships around Jesus, to think about how we relate to one another in light of who Jesus is. This is one of the uh, quotes from a commentary I read about this section of Scripture. It says, Paul calls us to live in a new way in an old world by submitting ourselves to each other in love, regardless of our status within the systems and structures of our world, we then partner in reordering the world according to his kingdom. So what we need to understand is that in this section of Scripture, we're going into the section of Scripture that's um, like Ephesians 5, I'm starting with verse 21, where Paul is addressing not just relationships, but Paul is addressing household relationships. Those are even harder because any of us can be like super loving on Sunday with a person that we drink coffee with for five minutes. You know, when he talks about love one another, and, and, but he's speaking to household relationships because that's where the rubber hits the road. I was going to say that's where the poop hits the fan, but I thought <laughs> I shouldn't say that. So edit that out. But, but that's where the rubber meets the road. In, in fact, there's, so, there's a lot of passages in the New Testament that talk about household relationships. One of the reasons that is, is because all of the churches of the New Testament met in households. How many of you have led or are leading a small group in your household? It's hard to hide, isn't it? When you invite people into your home... And now they get to witness firsthand the dynamics of your household. Some people, they even, that's a little bit of a deterrent for them. Like, uh, I'm not hosting a group. I don't know how that's going to go. 
But the reality is this is a place that we're meant to be visible. We are meant to be a, a witness and a testimony to what the um, resurrection of Jesus does, the transformation that happens. And so Paul is speaking to these household relationships in Ephesians 5.20 through 6.9. And he's encouraging, this is, this is for those of you that haven't caught up yet or caught on yet, this is the, the submission and um, husbands and wives and father or parents and children, slaves and masters section of Ephesians. And he's encouraging husbands and wives, parents and children, slaves and masters. And yet, I think this has been a very misused and misunderstood section of Scripture over time. It's been, it's been um, misused in horrible ways over centuries to justify things that do not reflect the kingdom of heaven. And then, because of that, there's been a reaction to that misuse. And then we have whole groups of people that say, we're just going to throw that out, actually. None of this is actually valid, and we're going to just throw it out. We can't do that with any of Scripture. Not even the parts we don't quite get or that we wrinkle our noses at. Or We don't get to do that. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, which actually human, the person of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And so we get to embrace the, the reality of the scripture and know that it's profitable for us, that it's a training in righteousness. And so one of the ways that we're going to look at it today, because I find that when I come to a piece of scripture that, doesn't, that I don't fully understand, um, or that I don't really have a full sense of what it means, or it, it feels like, well, I'm just not sure how to reconcile this with what I, the kingdom of heaven looks like. The best thing that I can do is look at who wrote it and who they were writing it to and what it meant to that original audience. Because sometimes we read pieces of scripture and, and we lay it over a cultural norm that we're in right now, and we go, wow, this isn't gelling with the way, it just doesn't work. But if we will look at, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily change the meaning, it enhances the meaning. It gives, us, it gives us more understanding of the meaning of it. And so it's important for us to recognize that Paul is writing to a specific group of people in a specific content, context. And there are times when we say, Context negates the meaning of that scripture. It doesn't. Cultural context does not negate the meaning of that scripture. It informs us in how we're meant to apply it. What is it actually showing us? And so I can see that both the misuse of these texts and the dismissal of these texts is because we failed to grasp what the revolutionary idea of what Paul's really talking about. So that's what I'm hoping that we can get to today. I'm hoping that we can really, if we have any baggage around these scriptures, I'm hoping we can set it aside and look with fresh eyes and, and let the Holy Spirit speak to us about what it means as well as the other piece that I really want to see is to give us 
the ability to walk in it in a more complete and full way so that our households can walk worthy of the calling of what God's created here. So I'm just going to pray. Maybe you don't need it, but I do. So Lord, we just ask you to help us to look at this with fresh eyes, that we would look at your word with fresh eyes and that we would also be filled with your spirit in a fresh way to walk this out in our lives. We ask you to show us something that we haven't seen and we ask you to connect us to a power to walk this out that we haven't fully accessed so that our households and our way of being and living can glorify you, can represent your kingdom well. In your name, amen. Amen. So what we need to see, because we see throughout this whole book of Ephesians, that Paul is specifically saying, Gentiles don't walk like this anymore, now walk like this. And by the way, in lots of places when when the apostles are speaking to those in the Jewish community, there's lots of places where they're saying, don't walk like this anymore, walk like this. They were coming from two different ends of the spectrum probably. But but it was to bring them into alignment with all fullness is found in Christ. It's not in, in the rituals and forms that were created over here in the law. It's It's in Christ that the law is satisfied and walked out, and it's not in just living like the culture of your day, but we come into Christ and into Christ's way of living and representing the kingdom. And so he's speaking to a pre-existing structure and system. And what we need to recognize is that the earliest church had very little power to change those systems and structures. The early church was somewhat maligned and um, despised and persecuted and had very little power to, to change the systems that Paul is actually speaking into. It wasn't a democracy. There wasn't a power in the people. And in fact, the number of believers was comparatively very, very, very small to the rest of society. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying he understood that they could live in such a radically different way within those systems and structures that they would participate in reordering society from the inside out. That they didn't need to have power to change those systems and structures. They just needed to live differently within the systems and structures. And that that was going to bring transformation. What they couldn't change directly, they could affect indirectly by living in such a radically different way. For us, we need to recognize how incredibly fortunate we are that we live in a time and a culture where we have influence on systems and structures. Especially for us in a democracy, still in this day and age, (laughs) we have an incredible stewardship to walk in, that we do have power to speak into those things. We do have numbers and, and we have a voice into those things, and we need to steward that well and take every opportunity that we have to affect systems and structures so that they will match kingdom values. But we also need to recognize that 
we don't have to be empowered to change those systems and structures. That we also can live in a radically different way in such a way that it's going to affect that from the inside out. In fact, I think at times, it's an even more effective way to see change in society. Because you can impose something from the outside in and still not change anything about the heart attitude of the people. So the only thing that's going to happen is when their guy's in charge, we're going to shift back to that way of being. But we have an incredible power to affect change by living radically in a different way, even in the midst of systems and structures that do not honor kingdom. And they understood this. This is what he's speaking to. I think one of the, the an important thing that we can do, for example, for the pro-life movement, is to radically value life. To radically value children. To, to not go in with a cultural norm. I pick on this all the time. I feel so bad I should find a different one. Okay, but I'm going to use it anyway because it's my only example. <laughs> to not go in with a cultural norm that children somehow steal life from us. So we can be wholeheartedly pro-life and we value that and, and then we make jokes about how our children suck the life out of us. And there's room, okay. But there's this, this culture around not valuing the gift that our kids are. And recognizing that they don't steal fulfillment. They don't, they don't hold us back from purpose and calling. They actually take our purpose and calling farther than we ever could. Amen. So we can, from the inside out, we can radically value life and family. If we want to see change in how we look at marriage, we need to radically value marriage and walk it out and our households walking that out in healthy ways. So can you, are you hearing me that I'm not saying this doesn't matter, voting doesn't matter, I'm not saying that. I'm saying this matters as much as that. We have to steward the voice that we have. We, are, uh, we have taken for granted <laughs> that reality, that we do have a voice, that we do have opportunities to speak into these different things. And so now, how do we affect that from the inside out in addition to that? We need to realize that our assignment to participate in reordering the world to, to come into the values of the kingdom doesn't require us to be in power because we have a power to walk out a radically different way that's counterculture and ushers the kingdom in. Where there are systems and structures we can't change, we can live radically different lives within those systems and structures. That's what Paul's speaking to in this in this section. He's not condoning slavery. He's not even really condoning hierarchy. But he's saying, this is the system and structure that I'm speaking into. Okay, so what he is speaking into is specifically household codes. Household codes were a very common thing in that culture. There were, there were codes established 
for how a household should run because in the Greco-Roman culture, they believed that the household was the foundation of society. I believe that too. Because that's the way God established some things. So they believe the household was the foundation of society and that every household should be a micro version of the values of the society. So for them, the society was extremely male-dominated. It was extremely, and we could even take it away from male-dominated and just say there was always a person who had power and then other people that didn't have power. And so we can even look at it that way and say that it has to do with, okay, who's the one that has power? And for the person that had power, there was little or no instruction around fair treatment. Or it it, it didn't matter if you had the power and everyone else was subordinate, you you were the, the law of the land. And it didn't matter how you behaved towards them. If you were worthy of that leadership, but you had the power. And so this is what he's speaking to is these household codes. So Aristotle and some other philosophers would speak into this constantly. And it always was, this is how the household should run. And it was always attached to inferiority and superiority. The household runs like this because the male is superior and everyone else is inferior. So how they dealt with their wives, how they dealt with their kids, how they dealt with their servants and those that worked within the household That was the way that it was established. So this is what Paul is speaking into. But what we find that he's doing is at this point, he's actually encouraging that one with power to live a different way, to walk out a different way. And he's saying, okay, this is the household code, but this is a household code code within the kingdom where Jesus is at the center of it. So let's... Read it through really quick. Um, If you have your Bibles with you, we're in Ephesians 5, and I'm going to start with verse 21, actually. Just out of curiosity, how many of you, how many of you have Bibles with you? Okay, how many of your Bibles have verse 21 and then a heading that says marriage, Christ in the church? Okay, do any of you have verse 21 either below that heading? Yes. Yours is below that heading? Yeah. So some, some versions will, because just, just fun fact, the headings were not part of the original letter. These little divisions that we have in our Bibles that kind of help us, like this is what Paul's talking about now or whatever, but those weren't part of the original letter. And so a lot of times when we look at this, we look at this section as being about marriage and submission and whatever, but in the the original letter, the way that it's written is, that section is starting with submitting to one another in the fear of God. And so this is revolutionary, what Paul is saying as he's speaking to households. He is saying, we're not having superior-inferior where there's one that all are submitted to, He's saying all of the household is going to submit to one another and to Jesus. That there is a new head of household, his name is Jesus. (laughs) And in that, this is how we're going to operate. Submitting to one another in the fear of God, 
And then in verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bone. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Oh my goodness. This is a rich section of scripture that has often been reduced to a hierarchy statement. Paul is talking about so much more here than just that. But one of the things that I want to point, like we could pick through that for a really long time, but one of the things that I want to to point out that he's talking about is that he's saying um, that we have, when we're looking at wives and husbands, he's taking away the hierarchy and he's bringing us back to God's original plan for marriage where he says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. This is talking about the church, that we have a oneness with Christ where we are members of him. We're not just alongside him. It's saying we we have a, a oneness with Christ. And then he goes on to say, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is out of Genesis, where God originally established marriage. And what Paul is saying here is, God's original plan for marriage was not hierarchy, it was unity. It was oneness. And he's restoring them to that view of marriage. And within that oneness, he's saying, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. When you are in a place where you don't have the same power, submit as unto the Lord, not out of fear and not because you're inferior, but because we're all one in the Lord and there's worship and reward attached to that submission. And so he changes. There's, in some ways, there's still a behavior that would be the same, but it's for a different reason. It's not because I'm inferior and he's superior. It's because I, I do this to love and honor the Lord. And he's bringing a new idea about loving your wives. So not only is the motive for serving and submitting different, but now he's saying, love your wives the way that Christ loved the church because you're one. You're not separate hierarchical beings. You're one. And so he's, he's helping us to reorder relationships in the way that he originally intended. He goes on to talk then about children and parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, 
that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Do you see the pattern here that he's making? He's speaking to you without power, respond to the one with power out of love and reverence for Christ. Respond to them, yield to them in the same way that you yield to Christ. And then he speaks to the one with power, and he says, you with power, act like Christ towards the one that has less power in your life. Children, the household codes had zero boundaries on the way that parents could act towards children. Because the goal was absolute domination, really. Because the household has to to look this particular way. And here, for the first time, Paul is actually putting a boundary on how we act and relate to our children. But he's changing the whole thing of obedience. Now, he's not saying, children, obey your parents because you're inferior and because you're in fear. He's saying, children, obey your parents because there's a reward that comes with that. There's a reward that only Jesus can give you, that only God can give you in that obedience. And so he's changing the motive of this this relationship within this power structure. It comes with a blessing, he says. Parents, don't provoke your children to, to anger. But bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Or other versions talk about instruction about the Lord. So here's a question for me as the one that holds power in that relationship. Am I instructing my children in the things about the Lord? Or am I instructing my children in the things that make things easier for me and my preferences? When I am am bringing discipline and obedience, is it because I'm bringing them into this instruction and, and discipleship in the Lord? And so he's speaking to a group of people and he's saying, now your role is different. Now your role is to bring all in submission to Jesus. So bring your kids up in the discipline and the discipling of Jesus. And I, I read this this week and I thought, wow. Oftentimes, it's about my preference and my comfort and my... But what is it that the Lord is trying to do in raising up that child. And that we can, again, Paul is not giving us something to grasp at that we can't accomplish. He's saying it's already been accomplished for you. You can walk in this way. It's not like, yeah, you better buy three more parenting books so that you can measure up to this. No, he's saying this is the new way we walk now in kingdom life. We raise our kids up in the instruction of the Lord. And am I instructing them in ways so that all will go well with them and it will be long with them in the land? Or am I raising them up in instruction because I want it to go well for me? Because <laughs> I want it to look a certain way for me. Fun questions. 
The next section, again, another place that really has been misused is where he's talking about bond servants and masters or slaves and masters. And I've seen people completely, they, they shift this and they go, well, really, it's employees and workers. That's, I think there is an aspect of being able to kind of imp, uh, apply it in that way from the standpoint that we're talking about the one that has power and those that don't have as much power. But I think we need to recognize that he is speaking to a culture that is actually slaves and masters, that, that there wasn't this inferiority in, in, that, um, in that culture. And so he's not authorizing slavery. He's recognizing the pre-existing system, and he's actually planting the seed of the gospel into that system so that one day that system ended. That, that he's, he's introducing a new thought. He's shining the light of the gospel on a system. And, and, and that, I believe, when it came to fruition is where we saw the abolition of slavery. Now, we still have some work on that in several places in the world. There still is human trafficking. There is still. But I believe that as we continue to continue shining the light of the gospel on that and to live radically different lives about how we value people, how we interact even with, with um, uh, sexuality, that we transform that area that does not reflect the kingdom of God. So he's speaking to that, and he's not... He's number one again. He's enforcing. It says, "Bond servants be obedient to those." I'm in verse five. Sorry, I haven't done a very good job of telling you where I'm at, Mandy. Uh, Bond servants be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as man pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men. He's saying serve as if you're serving Christ. He's shifting the motivation even. Uh, service as to the Lord is not to men. In verse 8, knowing what, that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. And this is an important piece that we look at when we're, when we're looking at this section of scripture. I think it's helpful for us to frame what he, what, how he started it and how he ended it because it helps us understand the, what he's painting in between it. So the first, uh, the first sentence he says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So he's saying there's this mutual submission that I'm calling for in households. And then he ends it by saying, um, you know that your own master is in heaven and there's no partiality in him. He's saying, you also have a master. You have the same master that this person has, who is your servant or your slave. <laughs> you have the same master and that God does not distinguish people by their status by their position, and he's setting, he's setting this reality of, of equality, really, in the kingdom of heaven, 
in the kingdom of God. He's planting these seeds of the gospel that this is where, this is where the gospel is taking society. That there is this equality that we operate in. So he's speaking to those that have less power and he's redirecting their acts of service and submission to be as an act of worship to Jesus. He's talking about that, that, that obedience and serving brings a reward that only God can bring. And so the motive of serving in that way has shifted. He's also establishing that really Jesus is the highest authority in the household. What would it look like if all in the household are just submitting to Jesus? I think there would be a lot less pain in relationships. There would be a lot less power struggle between parents and kids and husbands and wives and in, in boss and employee relationships. If we're all just, we're submitted to Jesus. And so he's calling them into that reality and yet he's saying, here's a new way to walk in an old system because that system is still going to exist. But he's seeding the gospel into that system. He's talking to them about serving and submitting, not because you're inferior, but because of who Jesus is. And then to those who have more power, He's, he's talking about giving and serving the way that Jesus did. Those of you that have that authority, that's leadership structure as well. That's where servant leadership comes from. That we believe that those that have the authority in any segment should be serving the most, should go first and go farthest. <laughs> that's what Paul's saying. You go first and go farthest. You give your life. You give up everything the way Jesus gave up everything because you have more power in that, in that structure. We need to recognize that this is what Paul is speaking to here. He's speaking to a, really, I think, if anything, He's bringing an equality to those who are in Christ. And that means we still operate in these different relationships, but he's saying it's no longer about those statuses or inferior, superior hierarchy. It's about this oneness that we have in Christ and all submitting to him. So we know that we have uh, access to this through his Holy Spirit that we need, especially when... Um, so the, there has been a, a large season in history where there has been a male-dominated society, and what we've seen is then the world's answer to that is a female-dominated society. So now, now we're going to make these characteristics that... that men have, we're going to make those undervalued. And that is not God's kingdom way. <laughs> but instead, that we would walk in an equality and in a mutual valuing of how God's created men and women to function within society, within those roles. 
And so I can submit to my husband as unto the Lord. <laughs> and and I, there's a, a reward in that, both in my, that comes from the Lord, but also that comes just from our, our way of being together. There's a strength that comes into my life. And there's a strength that comes into his life when he loves me as he loves his own body. When he gives himself because we're one. There's a oneness in us that, and the same is true with our kids. When, when we can bring them up in the instruction of the Lord, when we can value them and, and, and we can make sure that we're pointing them towards the headship and the leadership of Jesus in their own lives. If I train my kids to be, to be led by my power and control, there comes a time when I no longer have the power and control over their lives. But if they know how to be submitted to Christ and to be governed and guided by him, then there's, there's a confidence in how they're going to walk out their lives. Amen? 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 And all of it comes from knowing the love of the Father. All of it comes from knowing His character and His way. So what we can close with is just looking at how can our households more fully represent the kingdom. We can look at what is the, the culture of our day because it's actually a little bit different than the culture of that day. The, the, the um, offensiveness of how we walk out relationships of the kingdom, the things that butt heads with the culture are a little bit different now than, than they were then. But we can look at what is in the culture of that day, of our day, where we can live radically different lives within our households so that we can properly reflect the kingdom, where we're not just going with the cultural norm. So let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to take from this portion of Scripture the things that you want us to apply in how we relate to one another. We thank you that not only does your Holy Spirit give us the will, but the ability to walk in this kingdom way. We ask that when I'm in, in a position where I have more power, that each of us would treat Jesus or treat others the way that Jesus treats us. That we would, uh, with that authority and that power, we would give, we would serve. We ask that we would look to him for our model and that the Holy Spirit would continue to conform us to the, how Jesus lived and walked when he was in places of power and authority. And for relationships where we don't have that, where we have less power, we ask that we would treat others the same way we would treat Jesus. That we would serve and submit and love the same way that we would to Jesus. We thank you that your Holy Spirit can help us walk that out. We ask that our households would more fully represent the kingdom, that they would be visible as a sign of the transforming work of your gospel 
as the transforming work of your death and your resurrection, and that they would affect the world around us, the systems and structures from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org. Thank you.